0: Tennessee. This Tennessee. Tennessee.
1: Tennessee. is Holly McCall with the Tennessee Holler. I'm here today with my partner, Justin Canoe. Many of you all watching know him. And we're also here with two people who are on the front lines of fighting to keep women's health care safe and legal in Tennessee. Please subscribe to the Tennessee Holler's daily emails in MailChimp. And we're supported publicly, so we'd love to have you chip in even a few bucks. Go to www.pnholler.com. You can follow us on all social media at VTN Hauler. We've got Francie Hunt, the Executive Director of Tennessee Advocates for Planned Parenthood. And we've got Anna Corella, Co-State Director of Healthy and Free Tennessee. So good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Francie, let's start with you. Give us some background. What are we gonna be talking about this morning?
0: Well, I thought we ought to start with kind of level setting and, and making sure that your viewers, Tennessee Holler viewers, understand abortion as a policy issue uh, first, and then we can kind of um, speak more about upcoming legislation that's gonna be in a public hearing next Monday and Tuesday. All right, tell us about some of the background on this. How's
1: Planned Parenthood, and how do you talk about this policy?
0: You know, I we understand that not everybody will see eye to eye on abortion itself. Everybody has their own individual values around it. Um, but I think it's important for your viewers to understand that when we're talking about laws and public policy and legislation and those sorts of things, we're, we're not really looking at abortion itself in terms of, um, you know, whether that what individuals may think about that and rather looking at it as um, a person's right to make their own decisions regarding mm-hmm. their own body and their own health care, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of, Folks understand that it's about your own bodily sovereignty, and so you know we talk a lot about how you know regardless of where people may what maybe people may think about abortion, we hope that everyone would agree that decisions regarding a pregnancy need to be left up to a woman, her family, faith, and doctor, without any government interference, because it's such an intimate decision. I think the other the other piece is for people that um, you know there's such a, a stigma I think around abortion. Um, And it's important for people to have, we believe, compassion for individuals that end up having abortions. Uh, Most people may not know that the majority of people that have abortions are are mothers already. Um, There are folks that most of abortions, you know, happen within the first nine weeks. Um, And, you know, and and a lot of the restrictions that we see um, end up... uh, impeding a woman's uh, access to abortion uh, sooner in her pregnancy. Uh, and, and I think the other main point is to is to convey that abortion is actually pretty common. One in four women uh, will have an abortion, has an abortion. So uh, this is something that affects a significant number of, of individuals. And that's why uh, you know, most people may not come out and talk about it because it takes courage to come out there and talk about it. Uh, but those rights to make those personal decisions regarding their health care and family and life decisions need to be left up to that
1: individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now, I'm going to kick it to you for a minute. Tell us a little bit about Healthy and Free Tennessee and what kind of work you all do. Because I think probably many people who follow the holler um, have some familiarity with Planned Parenthood uh, with their, you know, giving people access to birth control, health choices but probably not as many people are familiar with Healthy and Free Tennessee. So tell us how you all deal with this issue and what kind of work you do. Sure.
2: Yeah. So Healthy and Free um, was formed in 2012 and we're a state-based advocacy organization. So um, the idea sort of, I think... um, after the Tea Party gained power uh, in 2010, we saw a huge wave of um, anti-abortion restrictions. So a quarter of all of the anti-abortion restrictions passed since Roe v. Wade have been passed in like the last decade um, since 2011. And so I think it was in that environment. Um, And also a few other bills had been passed. Um, In 2012, the the gateway Law was passed, which got us a lot of um, negative national attention um, because it basically outlawed uh, comprehensive sex education um, and, you know, sexual activity, um, which can be interpreted many different ways, um, and later was clarified, but still. Um, And so, yeah, so in that environment, Healthy and Free Tennessee was formed. We're a statewide coalition, so um, we... Are representing the full range of reproductive and sexual health and rights, Um, so that includes, for example, um, LGBT parenting rights, Um, Mm -hmm. and um, you know, obviously, comprehensive sex education is important to us. We share a lot of the same um, values and issues as Planned Parenthood, Um, and but you know, we have, I guess, um, a very large scope in terms of what constitutes reproductive and sexual health um, and rights for example, this last session we worked on a bill um, that would ban the practice of shackling pregnant oh my gosh uh, during labor and delivery um, because you know you need sexual and reproductive health and rights in jails and prisons as well and some those are some of the you know marginalized populations of Tennessee um, so so yeah so we um, support a range of issues Um, and obviously abortion is important to us because we see it as part of comprehensive reproductive health care and we we want people to have access to the best health care that they can access.
1: So I am probably a little bit older than you all. I'm 55 and it seems like just in the last 10 years and I know this is something that the far right has focused on for a while but it seems like in the last 10 years, we have seen quite a bit more restrictive um, health care legislation being uh, put forth at the state level. What is some of the legislation that you guys have been working to either pass or to oppose uh, because of the health ramifications in the last couple of years? Like what has gotten us to where we are today? And of course, eventually we will lead into what ha- what is happening with the state Senate next week. But tell us about some of the legislation that you all have work, been working um, with the last couple of years. Because quite frankly, there's so many bad bills, I can't keep them straight.
0: yeah, I mean, I think in the, we you know put we have to put it in the national context. I think with the with the Trump administration, we've seen an emboldened uh, you know opposition and so and and an extremist one at that. I think also we have the dynamic of uh, the you know Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. and so, there, we've seen just in the last, this, you know, in 2019, um, 16 states that have had to battle outright abortion bans. Uh, And and several of those states are, you know, surround Tennessee, you know, Mississippi and Georgia, uh, Arkansas, uh, and different places. And so um, that's very alarming to us. And and in Tennessee, I mean, we've seen uh, a Consistent, um, methyl, you know, strategic uh opposition ever since 2014 when uh we lost uh the Tennessee uh Tennesseans uh gave uh constitutional authority over to the state legislature to restrict or ban abortion for any reason. (laughs) Excuse me, and
1: that was
0: Proposition One, (laughs) yeah, it was it was Amendment One, that's right. And so since then, we've seen things like the 48-hour waiting period, which, uh, you know, they said they wanted to, you know, make patients wait 48 hours before they can actually access abortion because they presumed that women weren't really thinking about it, which was so... I
1: I weigh in with some editorial on that. Uh, I am very passionately pro-choice. But yeah, that is to me so... It's a demeaning bill um, because I have many friends who've had abortions, um, you know, and people give quite a bit of thought to this. This is not something that I know anyone who has entered into this lightly. Right. I'm sorry and, to but this just.
0: I'm yeah. Wondering. Yeah. And, and so we've seen like things like the 48 hour waiting period. And, you know, when you look at a, a two day wait, I mean, patients are having to travel long distances, arrange child care, take time off work. Um, and so that, that makes it very difficult, and it and it um, also then move, potentially could move that patient into a later term when she's accessing pregnancy, uh, which is dangerous from a medical perspective. We also have seen the admitting privileges bill, uh, which has uh, limited the number of doctors that can actually perform abortions. Uh, you know, so there there have been a number of things that Tennessee has already done. That has um, that have passed without any, you know, medical evidence backing it. Uh, it's the, all of the all of the intent behind these restrictions are not really to enhance or expand medical provision. It's really to limit a woman's ability, a patient's ability uh, to access healthcare uh, and to outright ban abortion. And and to be clear, like even with the upcoming legislation that we're we're battling, you know, when you Uh, You know, by banning abortion, you're not eliminating abortion. You're just making it illegal and therefore unsafe. So, you know, we've we've seen a lot of things happening here in Tennessee.
1: Um, You mentioned upcoming legislation. Would one of you all like to let folks know what's
0: starting on Monday? Well, we have, um, there's a public hearing. The Senate Judiciary Committee is taking up uh, a Senate Bill 1236. Um, and it, it was on um, it, it was initiated by Representative Van Huss on the House side that the bill has already passed on the House side. And uh, the original language of the bill, which passed uh, on the House side was to um, criminalize abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and so now, on the Senate side, uh, it, it has been up for a vote. There was amended language uh, that was added uh, and approved, um, which states that a person shall not purposefully perform or induce or attempt to perform or induce an abortion upon a pregnant woman when a viable viable pregnancy is presumed to exist or has been confirmed. And the, and the key there is that they've there's a lot of keys in that, in that amendment, but they've uh, one of the notable things is they, rather than using medical terminology around viability, which typically means when a fetus could survive outside of the womb, they're um, they're using viability um, as it relates to a viable pregnancy. So as soon as a, a pregnancy is presumed, um, it is already illegal. So that could be four weeks. Oh, it could be, I mean, it's before most most women would right. it's, it would even know that you were pregnant, really. And, and it doesn't have consequences only on for abortion, but it also impacts, uh, you know, uh, miscarriage and how that's interpreted uh, miscarriages, uh, birth control, because a lot of uh, long acting reversible contraception uh, and other forms of birth control uh, that they would be considered abortifacients.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we we just recently had a case in Chattanooga that I'm sure you guys were following where a woman was arrested. Um, she had um she had a miscarriage and was arrested. Did y'all hear about it? I'm sure y'all heard about this. She had been using drugs during her pregnancy or pres- was presumed to be using drugs, and so they arrested her. The charges have been dismissed. Mm-hmm. But that was just last week in Chattanooga, and that was like to say that was extremely troubling to many people is a gross understatement. Um, are we going to see more of that kind of thing, Anna? Do you think?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw Tennessee was the first state to pass um, a bill criminalizing drug use and pregnancy in the country. Um, wow. And it sunset in 2016. It was defeated, but um, prosecutors and DAs across the state are still charging women um, and they the thing we know about jail is when people can't post bond even if the charges won't stick or are unconstitutional they can usually get people uh to negotiate into a plea deal and we've seen that um, before with other women who've been charged uh after the end of, uh, after a pregnancy mm-hmm. loss really um because you know as it was you know led to this decision is like that woman in chattanooga was 21 I think 20, 21 weeks pregnant um, and she had, you know, she suffered a, whatever you want to call it, a pregnancy loss. Um, those, the, the fetuses were not viable um, and not, you know, there's no medical evidence that can show that a miscarriage could be caused by, by drug use. Um, and that's, that's sort of where these kinds of laws, start, like, we've already seen these laws in Tennessee, um, and we've already seen people be charged with their pregnancy termination for their pregnancy terminations. Um, There was another case in 2015 of a woman who attempted to end her pregnancy um, with a coat hanger, I think, made national news, and then recently in Davidson County, um, which, you know, you think that Davidson County is a pretty progressive place, but there was a woman, a young woman who was 20 years old, who also tried to end her pregnancy and was charged with murder. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we're seeing, you know, we have a fetal personhood law on the books in Tennessee, um, and we're seeing the encroachment of sort of like people pushing the boundaries of um, sort of the fetus having rights over, uh, like an unviable fetus having rights over the woman who's carrying it right and so and we'll continue to see that definitely and these bills exacerbate it because they sort of push the boundaries push the limits and um and people who have miscarriages are caught up in them all the time because it's I think what is considered an elective abortion is is very situationally dependent um, i heard a story recently of a woman, uh, in Nashville who was told that her, her pregnancy was no longer viable. Um, but she couldn't, I think she was a a later term pregnancy. Um, and they told her that the fetus would not survive. There's, you know, skeletal genetic deformities. Um, and she, but she was told because it wasn't, uh, life-threatening to her in that moment so like she wasn't going to die immediately it was just it was deemed medically necessary but not um threatening her life so then they deemed it an elective abortion and she then had to wait 20 48 hours um
1: wow wow
2: continue a pregnancy that could you know increase risk to her and also carrying a, an unviable pregnancy when it's such a it's such a hard thing because. When you hear that a wanted pregnancy, you hear that you, you it's not viable, and then you're sort of treated like this,
1: um, like a criminal,
2: like a criminal exactly.
1: That's uh, denied healthcare. Uh, Justin, you've been pretty quiet this morning, uh, and but what, there's got to be something on your mind because you're a thoughtful person. You're a guy who's married with one kid and one on the way. What's going through your mind when you hear this stuff? Uh,
3: well. <clears throat> A number of things. Um, first of all, I think it's really important when we have this discussion to understand that the people on the other side of this equation don't always come at it just to troll us, just to upset us. I think they actually do deeply feel these things. And so when we have these conversations with them, I think it's important to have that in our hearts. Uh, I was just telling uh, and and Francie before we started that, you know, when I was running for Congress, this was the issue that came up more than anything else in our very red district. And it's the reason that a lot of people couldn't even consider pulling the lever for a Democrat. So, you know, there's so many myths surrounding it. It's really important to understand how uh, draconian a lot of these bills are. I mean, the thing that, you know, always jumped out at me about this heartbeat bill is that uh, a raped woman is forced to carry her baby to term under this bill. And, you know, that is so ugly and draconian and, and something that obviously doesn't have, you know, the woman in mind when you're making that decision, that it's, it's really important to talk about how far these bills really go. And so I'm glad you guys are, are here to talk about that. And then the one thing that you also mentioned, which I think is where we can find a lot of common ground is that gateway bill that Jack Johnson carried and had passed, which doesn't even allow teachers to talk about sex ed in school which I think teen pregnancy prevention programs are shown to be something that can stop unplanned pregnancies and unplanned pregnancies are what we should be trying to stop more than anything else. So between the teen pregnancy prevention programs and Medicaid expansion, which is pro-life and uh, subsidizing daycare for low-income women, because these decisions are often financial ones, you know, there should be some common ground. But, you know, I I love hearing what you guys are saying. And I, I think The tools that we can give candidates to talk about these things with with citizens is is really important. And the language that we use is really important. So, you know, how if you were going to to Anna and Francie, if you were going to talk to candidates who are on the trail, whether it be Democrat or Republican, try to come at this from a place of common ground, what's the best way to talk about this topic?
1: That is a great that's a great question. I was uh, before I kick this y'all. I was talking to a former candidate yesterday, um, and I I think it's fine if I use her name, Kristen Grimm. She ran for Senate in Jack Johnson. She ran against Jack Johnson last year. Kristen is interesting because she identified for most of her life as a Republican and has recently become very passionate. Her son's had some health issues, a lot of health issues, and she's become a very passionate Democrat because of health care. And she said she's had friends tell her when she was running last year, if you run as a Democrat, then you condone the murder baby. So
3: that's right. That's which
1: bizarre to me. But so addressed, if you would, Justin's uh, question about how do we help enable candidates and what kind of language can we give
0: candidates to, to deal with this? So, so I'm thinking on two different levels. One is for candidates and then one's in general. What what can be what you know, how does reproductive rights uh where does that stand in kind of these larger, broader issues that uh, enable us to truly bring life to its fullest fruition, so that every individual can, you know, be raised to, to their God-given potential? Um, and I think that's some language that should be of interest across across the board. I mean, that's I've professionally I have been a child advocate my entire life, um, and you know, worked in edu- on education issues, have been a teacher. Um, I also teach sex education, um, I'm a mother of two children, so the coming from the child advocacy realm um, into Planned Parenthood has been a seamless transition, it's in the title, Planned Parenthood, and so I think that if you're going to truly care for children and families, um, being intentional around Planned Parenthood even if it requires some really tough decision-making, is really important. Um, And so in my career, working on making sure that our schools are better funded and that we have nurses in our schools and that that our young people have wraparound supports that they can be learning, that they're being fed and their their social-emotional needs are being met, um, are all part of the whole package. I mean, we have to think about this holistically. Specific to reproductive rights, we know that in states that um, reproductive rights are restricted, where where families don't have access to abortion, because again, it's a very intimate decision that families need to decide. As I mentioned earlier on, a lot of these families already have kids. Um, access to abortion is critical, and when when that um, access is taken away, we you know what what's the natural consequence? Ab- abortion, right? So you see an increase in abortion, and you see an in, in, increase in um, unintended pregnancies, you know, and, and some of those unintended pregnancies end up great, you know, families, you know, um, end up taking care of their children as best they can, but we also see increased stresses on uh, the supports that are needed for those families, whether it's social services, um, and we also see, you know, for those children that are born um, from unwanted pregnancies, an increase in child abuse and neglect. Uh, they're born with low birth weight. I mean, we, you know, you talk to any medical professional, they can tell you all of the consequences of low birth weight. We see a mm. higher infant mortality rate. So, um, all of this is very connected. And so, when we're, when, so to pivot to Holly's question around um, candidate support, I think the candidates need to not take the bait that somehow abortion is some, you know, taboo topic. It is part of a comprehensive holistic way that we provide care to women. And I want to note, um, you know, women is a gender term. And so when we talk about reproductive rights and abortion, we also want to be inclusive and understand that not only women have abortion, that there are trans individuals out there as well that, that need this care. And so we need to be thinking as big as possible because our people deserve it. And we get pigeonholed in these, you know, tiny microcosmic fake, you know, you know, arguments when we need to be doing the best things that we can possibly do for our people, and that is provide resources and education and birth control access. When you look at the science, those are the very things that make a difference in reducing the unintended pregnancy rate, and I would hope that we all agree with that. Now, there is interesting talk about, and I, I agree with you, Justin, early on, you were saying that people are very sincere. Most voters are very sincere that they really care about the unborn and, and you know, and that's, that's their language. Um, but there, there, there are other, uh you know, folks out there that see that there, there are capital interests in not providing birth control and forcing women to give birth so that they can have um, an increased worker load. And and I think those are things that tie into other uh, policies related to the workforce and labor and immigration. So, you know, this could be a really long uh, conversation, but it's it's all very connected to why they want to uh, take a a person's right to their own bodily autonomy away from her.
1: Hmm. Um, Why should men care about this? Anna, do you want to take a swing at this one? You know, I remember... Pretty recently, I'll give you time to gather your thoughts, there was a clinic in, there is a clinic in Mount Juliet that is part of its health care package was offering abortions and the all-male city council had an emergency meeting to change zoning so they couldn't do that. Um, and one of the questions that came up with that was men should also care about this despite the actions of that city council. But why should, why is this important to men as well as women? I know I've got my thoughts about how it revolves around rights and choice, and even people who identify as libertarians should be concerned about the government being this intrusive in someone's personal choice. But I'll let you all address this.
2: Yeah, I, I think well, first of all, you know, men cause 100% of unintended pregnancies. Uh, <laughs>
1: So, <laughs> right, there are two people involved, folks, in case it's
2: a conversation with Anna Carella. <laughs> Um, But, you know, like Francie mentioned, the majority of people who um, seek out abortion already have children and already have families. And um, these, ab- like, abortion is a medical procedure. It is less, um, it is safer than carrying a pregnancy to term for a woman Mm -hmm. or a person who's pregnant. Um, And so, um, you know, like unsafe abortion is one of the leading causes of maternal mortality worldwide. That was why we legalized it uh, to save women's lives. And women who are mothers already, the majority of them and have other children that they're taking care of and a family that they're taking care of. And so, I mean, obviously, you know, not every person is part of a family, or has a husband, or you know, whatever, or is a woman. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is about protecting, you know, women, women's lives, and valuing women's lives. Um, and uh, I think part of that is understanding that when when people are making this decision, it's not. I think people there's this conception that it's a selfish decision, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a lot of the words that are used. It's um, I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, um, but you know, in the context, it's usually made and a decision to protect, you know, the family and the not only just the life of the, the mother or the care- caregiver, but also you know, um, the economic security of a family um, because. You know, if you are hoping to have two children and suddenly you're, you know, you can barely afford to feed them and clothe them and whatever, and you're faced with a third pregnancy, and of course, the state is not that interested in providing a lot of um, assistance to families and children. Um, So, you know, I think, I think that I think I hope that like the the protection of um, of women's lives and health is an important enough issue uh, for men to get involved. And um, I think, you know, of course, all of these, like the concept of bodily autonomy applies differently to men and women, right? Like, could you imagine like enforced, like coercive vasectomies or various other sort of like uh, procedures that like childbirth that could be like forced upon a man? I, I can't imagine it, but I think like, you know, any human can, um, relate to that. Like having some medical procedure done against your will. Um, it just, which is effectively, if you, if you're being forced to carry pregnancy to term, that's effectively what's right. Your body is being used against your will. Um, and just the, the idea of that, um, and thinking about how, you know, if we give the government the power to do that to women, it's just like I see this also as a human human rights issue and something that we talk about a lot in human rights language is like, if if you um you know if one human right is under threat, they all are, and if your human right is under threat, so is mine. You know because what's they, coming next? Yeah,
0: you're coming here's, next.
3: Right? This a like, good question. Uh, what do you guys think the law would be if men were the ones who carried the baby?
0: Oh. I think that there would be no restrictions on abortion whatsoever.
3: Taxpayer
0: funded. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more compassion for people. Absolutely. I I wanted to insert one point when I was talking about um, abortion from a child advocacy perspective is that it's not. There's not only. dangerous outcomes for that child that is born from an unwanted pregnancy, but it also affects all the other children in that household. Exactly. So it's, you know, Mm -hmm. again, to your question about like if if men are fathers and they care about their family, if they love a woman and they don't want her to die, I mean, you know, there are lots of reasons to care. Um, And then, you know, and then we all are really hoping for the survival of democracy. And so for those men that care about that, I, we appeal to you that, you know uh women's bodies are on the front line when we're, when we're talking about protecting democracy right now
1: and i want to say i noticed that there are several male allies and advocates who are following our stream this morning guys thank you all for joining us this morning um clear up some misconceptions i know that there are a lot of folks who say well i just don't want taxpayer funded abortions is that a myth or a reality or do taxpayers fund abortions Francie, that's probably a question for you, because I know Planned Parenthood comes under a lot of attack.
0: No, there's the Hyde Amendment um, that restricts any uh, public dollars from going to abortion. There are some exceptions, um, but uh, there are no um, taxpayer-funded abortions.
3: Can I ask a question about that? Because, um, <clears throat> you know, just again, playing devil's advocate, uh I think when we say that, which I, I completely believe it, but like, how does that work? Like when you get taxpayer money, but they do, but the Planned Parenthood does perform some abortions. How, where is the, how is that wall between the money and the abortions, uh, uh, un- enacted?
0: Well, um, the same way any other kind of health provision is enacted. So, um, when a patient comes and they are on, um, they have, uh, you know, Medicaid or whatever, uh, they can use those dollars for family planning services. Uh, but they would not be able to use that funding. They would, they would send in their or like, uh, you know, they would send in the bill to their, uh, just like an insurance, you know, uh, agent, uh, those things would only get covered, uh,
3: reimbursement so so, so so just to be clear somebody comes in sorry holly no that's okay comes right. in to, to get an abortion or to have an abortion to have one perform and to pay for it they get reimbursed or or you or the, the clinic gets reimbursed but medicaid or medicare will not reimburse for those procedures so it's not like you know, money comes in, a pile of money comes in and you go, oh, we're just not going to use it for that. No, it's actually reimbursements that you simply don't get for certain procedures.
0: Right. And 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 it's a little kind of, uh, you know, I've heard the opposition legislators say, oh, but we don't want even because, you know, remember in 2017, uh, even though thousands of people like literally thousands of people opposed the uh, legislation that the state passed that Sent a waiver to the feds that would not allow Medicaid patients to access family planning services at any health center that provides abortion and then and then they realized oh wait Hospitals provide abortions and other pro- you know doctors pro-. so then they took those out They were really targeting, you know groups that like Planned Parenthood um, and 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 that's still waiting to actually be uh, decided on at the federal level right now. But, uh, you know, what they argued in that when they were trying to defund Planned Parenthood is that uh, even though those public dollars that patients were using um, were were going to family planning, that somehow it was helping keep our doors open um, and, and being utilized to pay for abortions. And so... You know, inherent in that comment is that somehow they're thinking that the reimbursement rate for Medicaid is so high that there would be, uh, you know, uh, enough to cover for other expenditures in the health center. So any, I mean, anybody that um, you know sees patients on Care know that um, you know the re- nobody's worried that care is you know over um, over. Giving money to health care for health provision, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, which is ludicrous, but yeah, the
3: reimbursement rate for Medicaid is, is actually a lot lower than yeah. usually what the procedures cost. Right. Uh, can true. you just real quick, while we're on this topic, can you tell the people what else Planned Parenthood does?
0: Sure. So um, uh, the majority of our provision of care is family planning. And so we help, um, you know, offer. Uh, Life saving cancer screenings, uh, STI testing uh, and treatment, HIV prevention, um, uh, drugs and, and care, trans care, um, a full range of whole women's health uh, provision. So,
3: what, what would happen if all the Planned Parenthood shut down tomorrow? Hmm.
0: Oh, wow, that would be. Um, Really hard. We've got two health centers in Memphis, one in Nashville, one in Knoxville. Uh, I think that a lot of folks would lose their uh, um, birth control uh, provision, a place that they can go. Like a lot of folks choose to come to us because we do provide non judgmental care um, and they know that they can confide in us and uh, we can support them. Um, so I think that that would be dangerous. I don't even like to think about that.
3: Justin. I'm sorry. I'm just wanting people to understand what a world without it would look like and the services that would be missing. And the other other thing I wanted to ask is, you know, it it seems to me that there's an argument to be made that Planned Parenthood helps prevent abortion almost more than any other organization.
1: Well, the name is Planned Parenthood.
3: is Is that a fair assessment? I mean, isn't part of what you do to help women prepare for, I mean, isn't that in the name?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we take that um, mission very seriously, and that and that's why you know health our health provision is one one aspect of our work and the main aspect of our work. But uh, we have a uh, wonderful department uh, that provides sex education uh, to young people in the state, which is very important given the limitations within our school systems.
3: Yeah, this, this sorry, go ahead, Ali. Yeah,
1: you know, I was just saying, I think that especially today when there's so much information that's available on the internet, many people just assume that teenagers understand the ramifications of sex. And, you know, that's just not true. The teenage brain is not fully formed. And some of the, a lot of the information on the internet is not correct. And Planned Parenthood is a haven for many people. And I think there's also a sort of an erroneous assumption out there because I've heard that Planned Parenthood is just for those people or poor people or people who aren't like us and you know what it doesn't really matter who it's for but the fact of the matter is that there are plenty of uh, mid to upper middle-class women who use it I've used it um, it's for everybody yeah
0: and I, and I want to also pause to just I mean Planned Parenthood here we're here for the fight we're down <laughs> totally um, but it's not just us I mean obviously Healthy and Free Tennessee we're partnered in this um, You know, on the sex education front, uh, you know, Sister Reach is such a leader. They're a part of this ad hoc coalition where we're called Health Rights and Justice. And this coalition has been um, really working to stop these bans. And I I did want to kind of recognize a lot of those organizations that are are working side by side with us on on this. There's the ACLU, the Women's Political Collaborative, uh, the National Council for Jewish Women, uh, Indivisible, uh, National Women's Law Center. Um, but then there's uh, two other. So Planned Parenthood is not the only abortion provider. We've got CAREFM and the and Knoxville Center for Reproductive Health. They're a part of this coalition, um, and a better and a better balance as well um, as well as the National Abortion Federation. So, um, th- you know, this is a a broad group of folks that understand the dangers of this ban that's being proposed, and um, are are planning to show up with pitchforks um, at the at the at Cordell Hall on Monday and Tuesday. So I'm going to circle
1: back around to that. Anna, tell us about these hearings on Monday and Tuesday. Like give us some details on what time they start, uh, where exactly they're going to be, what the um, expected outcome or what could be the outcome of these hearings. Is there going to be any action taken at the hearings?
2: Yeah, so um, this bill was you know, sometimes we say when it's sent to summer study, we hope with some of these bills that that means it'll quietly go away. But in this case, um, we are going to see uh, Senate hearings on the bill um, on Monday and Tuesday, Monday from 1 to 4 and Tuesday from 8 to 11. Um, and uh, on those days, basically, the, um, they're going to hear um, testimony. Mostly from the other side um uh, about this uh particular bill um the six week bill a ban basically um, and i think you know I think there's a lot of i you know in my experience, I think that republican legislators um some of them understand. Um, that these bills are harmful and extreme, uh, but they're under a lot of pressure from their constituents to be passing some kind of anti-abortion bill every year. It's why we saw last year uh, the monument to the unborn. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just like they have to pass something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think this summer study is an opportunity to sort of... um, Our side also will have testimony um talking about the dangers of the bill i think from their perspective they want to give everyone a chance to talk um about the bill and feel as though their voices are being heard but um you know i think that it's more (laughs) to give a platform honestly to um opponents of abortion um and and we don't know, you know, we don't know if some kind of action could come out of this. Like we're hearing, no, this is just a hearing. This is just to like have people, t-, you know, say their points of view, but um, it's nothing is assured. Uh, and so we can't sort of stand by and and let these things happen uh, without showing up and uh, putting up a fight and speaking out against them. So. We are, um, people from all over the state are coming um, to these hearings and we invite everyone to come. Um, hopefully we can send out a link, but there, it's available on healthy and free social media and Planned Parenthood social media to, to sign up to come or just come on your own. You know, Don't, we, we prefer RSVP so we can plan, but like we're happy to have you join us um, those two days. And um, yeah, we're really just hoping to show up. We're going to all be wearing black um, and to sort of show our solidarity um, with um, opposition to this bill and other bills like it that put women's uh, and people's lives in jeopardy.
3: Well, just to jump on my soapbox for a second, uh, if they really want to pass pro life legislation, they should pass <laughs> some gun sense legislation, they should pass Medicaid expansion, they should pass paid family leave. They should repeal that awful Jack Johnson law that keeps teachers from talking to kids about sex education, which has probably led to more abortions than any legislation that we're talking about. There's a whole host of things that they can do that actually are pro-life that don't just mean forcing women to have dangerous procedures.
0: Absolutely, and I, and I wanna echo uh, Anna in terms of like the importance of this hearing. And and, and there are a couple themes that we wanna convey. Um, You know, and because most of all morning we've been talking about it from a bodily autonomy side, which is you know really like the the reason that I'm I am so um, hot on it. But uh, from a policy standpoint, we find ourselves uh, in allyship with Tennessee Right to Life. That may shock you, but the reason about that, yeah, the reason is is because it's unconstitutional and fiscally irresponsible. No one can argue that. That is not a left-wing, you know, talking point. That is a reality. And so every state that has tried to um, legislate uh, a pre-viability ban has been struck down by every court. Uh, And again, Tennessee's on, you know, they're trying to join this bandwagon of trying to See what will stick so that it can make it way, its way up to the Supreme Court. Because again, their ultimate aim is to undermine Roe. Um, but that's, that's really what's happening. And I think anybody with the eyeballs to see knows that, um, taxpayers will end up footing the bill for, you know, very high court costs. Um, and so it's fiscally irresponsible. So that's something that you'll, you'll see uh, on Monday and Tuesday. Thank thank you for
1: pointing that out, and the holler will be there covering the hearings Monday and Tuesday. Um, As we start to wrap up, um, what do you guys want people to know? What would you like to leave people with about your organization, or, like, how do you want to wrap up? What do you want people to know before we sign off today?
0: I would want to, you know, I think my main message is that of compassion, really, You know, obviously want to fight the bill and there's like a a, a lot of things I can say about that, but I think underlying it is that we have got to have compassion for individuals that have abortion because there's lots of private, you know, real reasons that only they know that go into those kinds of decisions Um, and, and it is not for us to cast the first stone. Um, And I would invite people to go to Tennessee Stories Project. That's tnstories.org, both Healthy and Free Tennessee and Planned Parenthood help sponsor that um, effort uh, and several other partners as well. You can go there. The purpose of that website is to um, uh, highlight individuals that have had abortions. They share their abortion stories so that you can understand um, why uh, people make those decisions, because I think that's the first. That's really on the ground. What needs to happen is to develop um, more understanding for why these decisions have to be made um, and and therefore protect it. Anna,
2: what do you want to leave people with? I think, um, you know, I don't know if this holds a lot of weight, but like the United Nations has determined that comprehensive reproductive healthcare is a human right. that is globally recognized. Um, And I I really hope that one day we can see abortion as just a piece of our overall healthcare um, that values the lives of people, um, women and people who are pregnant who are already alive, who are um, living, breathing people. um, And that, you know, like we see, and the reality is that because the folks who oppose abortion also oppose comprehensive sex education, and um, you know, welfare cap—they they want welfare caps on um, to uh, to families who who are growing, right? So after a certain number of children, you can't receive any more welfare payments. Um, and so I just, I think a lot of this legislation is about, um, shaming women, sort of controlling their sexuality, honestly. Um, you know, if it's, it's sort of about punishing them for sort of promiscuity, basically. Um, and I think, I think we need to like shift from that lens to a more, um, abortion is healthcare, abortion is a human right. It is. It is a pro-life act uh, in the sense of like protecting the lives of the living um, and of women and people who are pregnant. And I think, um, yeah, I just I hope one day we can get to a place where we see it as a normal routine procedure and that we don't always you know, because there's so many aspects of reproductive and sexual health care and we end up focusing so much on this because Mm -hmm. it's always at risk of being taken away. And, um, or it is already, you know, it is very inaccessible already for most people um, because of the cost. So um, I just, you know, Healthy and Free Tennessee is really dedicated to fighting for that world where this is just a routine healthcare decision and procedure.
1: Yeah, there's. Uh, we could devote so much energy to other meaningful issues if we didn't have to fight this all the time. Exactly. Well, I want to thank Francie Hunt, Executive Director of Tennessee Advocates for Planned Parenthood, for taking time with us this morning. Anna Carella, Co-State Director of Healthy and Free Tennessee. And of course, my partner, Justin Canoe. And we got, we'll got. we see you all at the Senate hearings on Monday and Tuesday. Thank,
0: thank you me. all. I love thank Tennessee you. Dollar. I'm going to become a donor. Thank you so much. tennis